Hi, Paul. Hi, everyone. Good day. <laughs> I was just saying to um, Sandra and Joe before, you know, it's not like I've got any special knowledge or, you know, experience about leadership necessarily, but it's just trusting that he has something to say through me and, and us tonight. So just got a wee snippet for you. Um, because leadership has lots of di- different definitions, I suppose, and um, for us at The Rock, we believe, believe that leadership is influence, so, um, and that we are called to influence, and um, that means that if you influence someone, you're actually leading, leading them. So, um, uh, and I guess that when I was thinking about this topic, just the thought that came to me was that as believers in Christ, um, we're salt and light in the environments that we're in. And God said that we carry the aroma of the knowledge of him wherever we go. So when you think about if you add a little pinch of salt to a big pot of potatoes, those potatoes are going to taste a whole lot nicer than if they're cooked without any salt. So it's amazing how much that salt will permeate um, whatever it's put into. Same with light. You know, the light will penetrate any darkness. And so... um, if we're salt, we're light, we're an aroma, we're influencing the environments that we're in and the people that we're around. So even though you might not feel like a leader, <laughs> um, you might say, oh, I'm not a leader. Um, like it or not, as believers in him, we are leading because uh, we're influencing the people around us in whatever environments we're in. So I think we can get kind of caught up in thinking that you know, in the world, the, the world sees leaders as a certain type of person that's um, probably really persuasive, quite outgoing, usually quite extroverted, and um, we think it's about personality type or style. Um, but actually in the kingdom, um, we are all leaders. And um, though there are some who have a leadership gifting, and maybe they might have some of those qualities that I mentioned before, Um, regardless of style or personality type, our confidence is in him and not in ourselves. Um, Therefore, you know, you could be the quietest, shyest person, you know, in the world, um, but you're still called to be a leader. Um, Yeah, so, you know, it's a pretty big responsibility um, because we have to think about, okay, well, what is the flavour that I bring to an environment? Um, what is the light that I'm bringing? Um, and that's, you know, in our homes, in our workplaces, and also here within our church-type environment. So, you know, it's, it's really asking yourselves those, those questions. Um, you know, I think you'll start to see, you know, that's when the exciting stuff happens as well in your workplace. You're carrying something that's different, and that's when people start coming to you with questions. And, um, you know, when things aren't going so well, um, they'll start coming to you. But they'll also be looking to you as to how you'll respond when, you know, when you're under pressure. Um, how will you respond when, you know, there's grumblings and gossip? Um, and, you know, that's really hard. It's like, because, you know, <laughs> we're all on a journey. And um, I think it's not for us to feel condemned either. Because I know I really kick myself sometimes because I'm thinking, oh, I've responded so badly in that situation. It's not how I want to respond, but it's still the flesh coming out. And so, you know, you 
and in that case, rather than fully condemning myself and just going, I'm just a terrible leader, I shouldn't be whatever in this position, um, it's actually trying to learn something from that. <laughs> so, you know, so next time it's okay, my, you know, I remember this feeling and I'm going to respond differently this time because, you know, you're actually looking to him for that guidance. So, um, yeah, so I guess just the thought really is that we're all called to influence um, both in our workplaces and our, in our families, but also here within the body. So it's not about, um, you know, whether it's your job to do such and such, <laughs> like whether you're rusted on to be a welcoming person today. Um, but, you know, we're all welcoming. Um, whether you are a life group leader, um, you know, or not, um, we're all called to share what's going on in our lives, and um, which should be an environment that um, we can share what's not going well, um, what we've learnt from mistakes that we've made or, you know, things that he's showing us so that we can all grow. Because if we just go around, you know, as if everything's all fine and perfect all the time, we're just not going to grow. So, and I think we all, you know, we all want to be on that, that path to um, more of him in us. So, um, yeah, so it's willingness to be vulnerable, willingness um, to share with others, willingness to receive from others, and just that willingness to give of your time, of your, you know, what you've been learning um, and the experiences you're having. Fantastic. All right, Mr. Clay. Didn't he do well this morning? Yeah. All right, crowd applause. Great, Jane. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> said to keep the time. <laughs> Not some, aren't I? Um, okay, just um, just to give context to a couple of scriptures, I'll um, read a little bit later. Um, uh, there, uh, there's kind of two kinds of leadership, um, and they're both. Well, one requires the other. One, um, there's a, the word in, in, in the original language is either episkopos or presbyteros, and it's um, it, it's translated for us as overseer or elder. That's that's uh, the word behind it. And this is a functional call of leadership uh, for those who are raised up to shepherd and to have oversight uh, uh, in the body. So when we usually talk about leaders, that, that's that's kind of what uh, what we're thinking of, and that's. Uh, when the Bible talks about leaders in the church, that's generally what it's speaking of. And that's a very specific functional call that uh, that God brings out from the body, that he calls up. Uh, so not everyone is called to be an overseer, to be an elder. But um, we are all called to what Jane described as the leadership that is influence. Uh, you'll find that pretty much across the board, the gifts that God gives uh, the church uh, are universal. Uh, and some people, they are concentrated to a level functionally so that they can operate powerfully in that gift. But that gift is still released for the wider body so that we can all operate to a degree in it. Prophecy, for example. Prophets are raised up to move powerfully in that gift and exercise that gift at a, at a higher level. But we are all called to be prophetic and equipped uh, spiritually to, to do so. Same goes for teaching and evangelism and others as well. Leadership is one of these. While some may be raised functionally to exercise oversight over the church, 
we are all called to influence towards Christ. So uh, if you influence someone to think or act differently than they have before, you are leading them. You are a leader. Now, we don't tend to think of ourselves in those terms, but that's what leadership really is, as, as Jane so wonderfully articulated. And this is not just the reality of influencing, influencing people. This is also what God has called us to do. He's called us to uh, be influencers who lead others closer to Christ and the appropriation of the values of his kingdom. Paul wrote in Romans 14, 19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And in Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And in Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And these are some of the ways that we can influence each other. From a teaching approach, uh, from, uh, from our words and the way that we, we speak to others, bringing them encouragement. Now, our influence can be positive and edifying, which is what we've been called to, but it can also be destructive. Throughout the history of the church, many of those who have called themselves brother or sister or padre or priest or even pope have uh, used their influence intentionally or unintentionally to lead people astray, to lead people away from the heart of God rather than closer to it. The Apostle John warned of this in 1 John 3, 7. He said, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now the first point I need to make is that we need to recognize the influence that we can have over others. There is power in the tongue. There is power in the life that we model before others. It's not just the words we speak, but it's the life that we live before others. That can influence people. Sometimes even more than words. Our speech and our actions have the power to influence the way others think and act. We read of this in James 3, 5 to 6. James says, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is, is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, that's the tongue being naughty, obviously. Our words can cause division. They can cause confusion. They can lead others to stumble. They can lead others into false teaching the sum of which is actually leading people away from God and his truth and his purposes. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, what is our motive? When we're sharing with people, when we're walking with people, thinking about the things we say, the things we do, what is our motive? What is the intention behind what we're saying and doing? Is God leading you to lead others in this direction? Or is there something else going on? 
Now, I think for, for myself, and I think for a lot of us, we don't necessarily think that much about what we're saying and what we're doing around people. And this is what I think probably the, the sum of this message is, that we need to think about the power of our words and the power of our actions and the influence they have. What is the fruit that this is going to produce? You touched on it just briefly, just as an example. Say, and this happens all the time, say you're frustrated with a sermon you've just heard or you're confused by a decision that a leader has made or you're hurt by someone's words. What do you do with that confusion, with that frustration, with that hurt? Do you do what you want to do? And let's go find people, people who you think will be sympathetic people who will, you think will justify how it is you're feeling, people who will have your back in that way that now it's not just you against whoever it is you have an issue with, but now you've got a crew, you've got a posse, and now you, you're all opposed in your weird little uni, unity of division against this other brother, sister, or leader. Is that your response? The flesh wants that. The flesh wants to be justified. The flesh wants to be justified in its anger and its frustration. And no one likes to be confused. So that, that, there's the potential there to respond and influence in a way that causes division, that causes further confusion around the body, that causes others now to have an issue with someone who they have no business having any issue with at all. It's between you and them. That's one response that people take. That is negative influence. That is ne- negative leadership. Or do you take your issue directly to the leader or fellow brother and sister and reconcile with them, seeking understanding and mutual edification, which will produce peace and greater unity? That is the power that we have with the words we speak over others. And maybe it isn't us that has the issue. Maybe someone in the the body, a brother or sister, comes to us and they've got a burden. They've got an issue. They're angry or confused at someone else. And now they're spewing that over you, potentially having influence now over you. Now you can, there's kind of almost this pastoral heart, this good heart that wants to to empathise with them and encourage them. And we think that means, oh yeah, 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 I know what you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though you don't necessarily agree, or maybe you do, you kind of back up the, the, the issue they have and the, the emotions they're feeling. And instead of influencing them, to take a course of action which might build unity, that is going and reconciling with the person uh, uh, that they have an issue with, you actually build on what they have to cause greater disunity. This, once again, is negative influence, negative leadership. And that is the power that we have with the words when we speak over others. Second Timothy 2, 24-25 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. There is an outcome from this, a goal, a motive you can have, and that is repentance and hope and a deeper knowledge of the truth. That is what needs to be sitting behind whatever leadership you influence here. And Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love 
and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is positive influence. So when someone brings a drama to you, you're thinking, how can I spur my brother or sister on to love and good deeds? That is positive leadership. Next question to consider is, what is the fruit in your life? If the fruit produced in your life of what you are sharing with others is good, then perhaps you have testimony of God's work in you to share with another. If the fruit in your life is bad or non-existent, then you have no authority to speak over anyone else. In fact, if the fruit's bad, you are sowing bad seed. If you're anything like me, which I hope you're not, uh, you probably have an answer for almost everything. And you haven't necessarily experienced the fruit of that in your life, but you, perhaps you've got a, got a good theory that you've heard or read. And you want to be knowledgeable. You want to be the, the person who can actually you know, give something back. And I, I've always wanted to be that guy. Uh, but if there isn't fruit in your life, the influence that you're having when you speak over someone's life, particularly if you have any measure of authority and standing, is that that can be destructive. If that hasn't produced a work in your life, that is good. Anything you're sowing is, at best, dead. It's rubbish. At worst, it is destructive. Uh, some of the, the, the three best words I think I, 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 it took me a long time to learn when people come to me with an issue or a question is, I don't know. I don't know. The Lord hasn't given me a revelation for that. The Lord has not given me wisdom for that. But I would love to pray with you. Ignorance is part of a negative leadership, negative influence. Uh, the next question to uh, consider is, oh, is, after you have been walking with a brother or sister for a while, is the fruit that you're producing in them good or is it bad? Think, thinking about discipleship relationships here. Think about the people around you. Think about the, the fruit that your word over them produces. Is it something that's good? Or is it something that's bad? Do you find the, the person that you're feeding into is becoming more godly? Are they being sanctified? By which I mean, are they more loving? Are they more generous? Are they more compassionate? Do they have greater faith? Or do you find the people around you are more divisive, more judgmental, more critical of leaders in the church? Do you find that there's a faction? You might feel tight because you all have this uh, this broken feedback system where you keep building each other up in your opposition to what God's trying to do. So it feels like unity, but it's actually the opposite. Because God isn't trying to build little factions in the church here. He has only one church. And it's not the rock. The rock is just one expression of the one church that he has. So the more that we become... Uh, fractured and split off and, and look at everyone else's outsiders who don't have it right, the more disunified we are. So if you find in your circle of discipleship, if it's even discipleship, and it probably isn't, if you find that you, it's more us and them and you feel disconnected from the church and you're growing away from what God's trying to do, that is the fruit of bad leadership, of a negative influence. And when you're in the thick of it, it can be hard to recognize it. 
There's a verse I shared this morning from Psalm 139. David asked, Lord, search me, know me, seek out my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to take pause to ask him to check our spirit. Am I sowing negativity into those around me? Am I, am, am I building judgmental and critical spirits in those around me? Am I building unity in the church? Or is my influence, whether I, I have a positive mo- motive or not, is it actually fracturing people away from the body? We are all influencing others, whether we are aware of it or not. And we need to check our hearts, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And be careful in our engagement with others that the way we are influencing them is into God's heart and not away from it. A final verse to leave with you is from First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 to 15. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who uh, work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. That is the leadership we are called to. Very, very cool. Leadership, influence. All right, what we're going to do now is we're going to break, uh, and we're going to go through exercise one on your form as a table, as a group. Um, with those two brilliant messages in mind. We're going to do that straight after Simon speaks. I'm just prepping you, prepping you. And I prepped you well, eh? You're all ready for it. But even better still, you get to listen to Simon first. All right, bring it, bro. Thanks, man. I can't read, It says Simon. It says Simon. Cool. Very good. Um... Tonight I want to talk to uh, to you guys, so in this bracket of um, what is our definition of leadership, um, I'm looking at the fact that we are bo- we're called to be both a leader and uh, a follower. Uh, so taking a little look at the different environments in which that is uh, to be outplayed, but also what does it mean to uh, to be under leadership and to have people under your leadership and um, there's just there's key attributes that God has spoken specifically into into my life to to make this whole area of being both leader and follower uh, a much easier process um, than rather than wrestling and struggling or fighting uh, with leadership or, or fighting with uh, that that uh, that whole premise of what we're we're aiming for in oneness and in unity. So some real key attributes just to, to speak to uh, this evening, and we're going to just unpack a couple of key scriptures in that, is, is humility, um, submission, where our identity is placed in, and relationship. Those four key things 
for me personally, have been the, the things that have really helped to unpack what it means to um, to, bo- uh, to both be leader and follower. Um, Christ is the perfect epitome of uh, of all those attributes, and Christ Himself could not operate as a leader if He first was not a follower and was in relationship with His Father. And we see this in John five nineteen. Where he says, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. I remember when um, we were in um, a staff meeting uh, and, uh, and often Jeremy would, uh, would come out this, with this one phrase, people are watching. People are, are seeing, people are, are, are observing the way in which we interact with one another, the way in which we, we walk together, the way in which we love one another and deal with things that, uh, that, that we, we experience uh, as a team. And, uh, and that, that scripture just reminded me of how, uh, just as, as Clay has, uh, has, has brought out beautifully, that whole premise of you, you someone who people look to Someone that, that actually uh, has, has influence uh, is somebody that people are looking for, for, for the transformation inside. They're looking for, for that difference that they can um, come alongside with. But it can, um, it's, it's something which is going to be even more evident when we're in uh, relationship with the Father. It's going to be even more evident when we're intimate with Him, when we're walking with Him. Because what comes out is, is less of self and more of Him more of his heart, more of his desire. And um, one of the things that I uh, can, can speak to, probably from a, a functional leadership perspective, was, um, it was uh, when I first started out in, uh, in leading worship. And uh, when you're starting just as an 18-year-old, you, you're very much looking to the, to the people uh, that you're under leadership Towards for, for guidance and, and walking in that whole area of what does it what does it mean to, to be operating in this building building intimacy with Christ and building with with the people who have journeyed before and that can make our job so much easier if we're actually walking in intimacy and in relationship with one another people who have gone before us have actually learned a lot of things that we can actually come under and and actually just glean from grow from. And um, one of the things that um, made Emma laugh um, quite a bit um, when, I, when I used to tell her was I, I, would, I would watch a lot of videos, whether it was um, worship, uh, worship musicians, um, th- uh, concerts and various di- different things that uh, Hillsong or, or other churches were putting on. And um, she said, you're not, you're not singing along. I said, yeah, and I'm just, I'm, I'm observing. I'm observing. And she said, why, why you, why, why did you observe? What was, what, what was the significance of just sitting there and, and watching a music song, um, a, a worship song on, on a, on a screen? And I said, I'm actually looking for the spirit that's on the person. I'm actually looking at what is actually coming forth from them, that it can actually be a, 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 a teaching tool for, for even myself in the process. What is what is their intimacy with with God like? What is what is their what is their experience with Him been like? And and you will see the response of what the Spirit decides to do in and through through the person. And so when I when I see Jesus 
um, delivering that that particular scripture, he's he's always has his eyes fixed on the Father. He always has his eyes fixed on on the one that he knows will bring truth, will bring clarity, will bring guidance, and knows exactly where he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to be doing in that place of of authority and in that place of influence. In order to become a leader, the follower is humble to the leader's teaching teachings, and they actually respond. That's that whole area of um, we're actually taking on board what it is that um, that our leaders are, are saying, what they're they're communicating to us. And like the Bereans, we're taking taking it to heart. We're we're receiving it eagerly, and we're 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 contending. We're coming together to actually open up. What uh, what God is is trying to say and being open and responsive to that, rather than um, as, as Clay has, has pointed out, rebellious or or trying to do things in our in our own way. If we're actually pursuing oneness, our desire and our heart will be that we will come together and we will we will seek His heart out in those environments. Um, John uh, six thirty eight was a prime example that Christ said, "I've come down from heaven not to do my own will." But the will of him who sent me. First and foremost was his priority was not on his own agenda, but to submit to his father, to submit to his father's ways and to, to allow um, his father's voice to become the very thing that he listened to first and foremost and to be carried out. Um, John eight twenty eight, just a little slot here again, just speaking to that, uh, responding here, how Jesus just um, epitomizes the heart of his Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Again, that submission, that, that uh, willingness to, um, to be under. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. And so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. There's, um, there's a number of different examples just in and throughout the word in which we have people who are both um, influences in their, in their own right, but they're on a journey of being submitted uh, under leadership at the same time. Uh, Joshua followed Moses for more than 40 years before he led the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, he actually was uh, living in that reality before those 40 years. He was uh, alongside Caleb bringing a, uh, an influence of this is what we have the capacity as a people to do. I'm living in, I'm living in the reality that God had placed in them. But they didn't, when the other tribes said, no, we, we, we can't go in, we can't go in now. They're far too big. They're far too dangerous. It wasn't Joshua's prerogative to go, well, we'll stuff you then. I'm going to go in off and do it by myself. He submitted under the, the leadership of, of Moses and continued to walk with the Israelites continued to walk with the people throughout that entire period, knowing that the promise was his to, to carry on in. Elisha, he served Elijah for 10 years before he took up his master's mantle and went on to perform even more miracles. I think sometimes we can, um, we can get the ants in the pants 
when it comes to uh, uh, even even whether it's uh, it's 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 probably more rife in the workplace when we're looking for for promotions or we're looking to to better ourselves and, and put ourselves in a in a position that we we feel is our right uh, and is our, our authority to, to stay in. Um, but when we come to when we come to to God's truth and God's reality, it, are we prepared to, to go the full um, the full length of of the the way in which He's defined it to walk out with a with a with a brother or a sister in true genuine discipleship until the work is complete? I, I, I'm massively challenged by by these these people because um, I don't know if I've. Emma and I have been sitting under um, Greg's leadership and, and many of you other guys for, for seven, eight years now. And uh, uh, I was speaking with uh, just Vera the other day, you know, seven years, it's, uh, it's uh, considered as a, as a season in the word. So does that mean I should now go off and start my own community or, um, you know, start afresh somewhere else? No, because God, God hasn't said. God hasn't said and the work isn't complete. And uh, I think there's such a defining uh, thing in being a being both a, a follower and a leader is that you it, it doesn't um, it doesn't sub- subtract the the influential leadership or the functional leadership that you're walking in, but to know where where God is calling, what He's saying, being in that uh, submitted place and and living from a place of humility, knowing that what God is saying in the season right now is absolutely where He wants you absolutely where you need to be and you're listening and 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 being observant to what he's actually calling you to be one thing i've said to to people recently is you can't be a a good servant if you're not observant and being somebody who is aware of uh of what the spirit is saying and what he's leading and where he's calling you to and actually being someone to to pick up and see what needs to be done and walking in that to best support your leader, to best help them in uh, in the goals that they have. And then lastly, the apostle uh, Peter, he followed Jesus for three years, made a lot of mistakes along the way, um, before he and his fellow disciples, as we read in Acts 17.6, were to turn the world upside down. Amazing, eh? And in each of these men, they still outworked the attributes of a leader, while submitting to their leader, their king, their God, their father. So um, that is, for me, what being both a leader and a follower is. Um, environments in which leadership is to be, uh, to be seen. Men, you're called to be a leader if you're a husband. I'll just give you the scriptures just for time purposes. Ephesians 5.23 You're a leader of your children if you have kids. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Teach your children in the ways, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. You're a leader in your community. John 17, verse 18. You're a leader in your workplace, a leader in your field, or a leader in your own right. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. The calling of God. And if you're in discipleship, you're in a position of leadership. The guys have touched upon it beautifully, and I love the fact that this has turned into precept upon precept. It's great. But I love that even though I facilitate a, uh, a discipleship group, the people that I, uh, that I do life with, it's just fantastic that I have that uh, ability to be vulnerable, 
to be uh, submitted even to the, the work which God is doing in, in their lives. Uh, and I've just been raving massively about Viber recently and, and telling people lots about just the, the significance of how that's been helping us uh, during the week connect with one another just in what God is, is saying or what we've been doing in, in unpacking the word. And I find that uh, if, I'm, if I'm struggling, if I've, I've got problems with, with what I'm, I'm reading or what I'm hearing, the opportunity to, to be able to, to gain that clarity and to, to walk that out with people is, is massive. And so the, the discipleship um, uh, paradigm works beautifully upwards, downwards, and, and side to side, that, um, that I'm, uh, I'm able to submit myself and place myself with, with people that I, I trust have my best interests, have God's heart and his desire and his truth within, uh, within them to be able to, to bring that to light. So that's me, 14 minutes. I'll stop there. Right. Okay. So um, this this next um, sort of part is is really about God's design for leadership and purpose. So um, in this one, I am going to be talking more about the overseer sort of um, functional role of leadership. Um, it's great that we have done both both of these um, things. But um, overseers are God's design. Okay, They're part of his provision for his church. Um, leadership or o- overseers are appointed to guide and guard and govern the church. To shepherd her as guided and empowered by the chief shepherd who is Christ. If you want a reference for that, First Peter 5, 1-4 is really great. So they are they are actively loving the church as Christ loves. Without godly leadership or the right heart or understanding towards God's leadership, there is mayhem. And the alternative is what is recorded in uh, Judges, and it says every man did what was right in his own eyes. Spirit-led leadership is about obviously being led by the Spirit. So overseers need, first and foremost, to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to a community. This responsibility is shared and confirmed amongst those who are appointed and draws especially from the apostolic and prophetic gifts. It's one of the reasons they're given. God's leadership walks in oneness. And Philippians 2.2 says... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. That doesn't mean that everyone, one person has an idea and everyone says yes, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir. It means a heart to come into oneness, a heart to seek him, a heart to know what he's saying and to confirm what he's saying. It's not about a personal agenda, it's about Christ's agenda. God's purpose is to lead us in one direction. The Spirit reveals and exposes where we are, and he reveals where he wants to take us. Thus, this whole thing, leadership takes the body from one place to another. 
Now that can't happen unless he does this revelation exposing where we're at and revealing where he's going to take us to. The journey is travelled with him and with each other. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is a daily, intimate, 24-7. It is not like a worldly goal or target that is presented and then left for everyone to go for it by themselves. Totally different deal. I will talk a little bit more about our journey in a minute, but as overseers in this community, we have deeply examined and prayed into what God has said over the past years through many prophecies and revealed words. We have seen through this seeking that he has created a clear picture of where we are or have been and where he is taking us as a community. As overseers, all decisions are framed by what he is speaking. You see, it's God's agenda. We must be led by him. He must build his church. Without this revelation, it is possible for a community to engage in copycat religion, following the latest popular thing, or having many scattered people doing their own thing. The question is, will we allow God to build his church? Now, I want to talk about our attitudes to church oversight. Are they defined by God, or are they defined by the world? We have to be careful because we live in a world that is individualistic and anti-leadership. There is a spirit of this age that is very centred around self and independence, and it resists submitting to anyone. Do you recognise that? That is what is around us. And yet, Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man's ways in the world are not going to be the guide. They can't be. God also says that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. There's the one thing that the world doesn't want to do. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. To be led requires following. This is love and submission at work again. Overseers following what the Holy Spirit is saying. Releasing and articulating that to the community. And the community seeking God and surrendering with the overseers to God's will in his way in oneness. See, it's love and submission. Will we choose his ways or our ways? Will we enter and continue on this journey with him and with each other? Will we be taken from one place to another? Will we let him form Christ in us in living reality as he so longs to do? This is going to be the prize. Our journey in this community is an exciting one 
and it's challenging, really challenging, because it's getting to the grassroots, the absolute inner parts of us, and it will change our lives completely. It is not fake or plastered on the outside. It's not copied from some book or some man's idea. You've got to believe me. <laughs> I've seen the other. It's the real and genuine work that God has always wanted for his church, the journey of transformation to become like Christ. He is desiring to change each one of us from the inside out by his spirit. It's not about changing some external things, but it's rather an inner work of the heart. And it's requiring and exposing and humbling as we recognize our true state before him. That we are not somewhat good, but need a bit of improvement. It's allowing him to expose things other than him that our lives have been built on. As he's calling us to love him with our whole heart and every part of us, it is meaning a continual surrendering of control of our lives to him, that he would do the work as he sees fit. He has a purpose. This is the great thing. He has a purpose for this genuine work in our inmost parts. He wants us to become true priests that we would be living letters from God, clearly demonstrating the reality of Christ's life on the earth. That's his goal. That's his purpose. That's his passion. This is the work of the Holy Spirit deep in the inner parts of us. It is led by him, done his way, and is uniquely designed to be walked out together, not alone. And this is why I just love what is happening here, because it is his pattern. It's not just one or two people going off and doing their thing with God. Love, his love, is the empowering, the motivation, the foundation, and the fruit. And it all speaks. No, it shouts that Christ is all. His life is the only one that lasts and endures, and he indeed is Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Joe Hughes. Woohoo! So I'm going to talk a bit about leading, for example, and how that looks God's way. So this is back to one for all of us again, but the key is pretty much the one that Sandra just gave, which is get to know him, let him change you, your actions will change, and they'll be consistent with your words. Um, but as Clay said earlier, um, it is important that we do lead by example and not just what we say, because we all know that when people say one thing and do another, it's pretty confusing at best and destructive at worst. Um, so God does lead us to lead by example. Um, and as I said, the key here really is get to know him. Um, I found the scripture in Hebrews today that I must have read over a hundred times, but never really saw. Right at the end when the writer's wrapping up, he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their ways of life and imitate their faith. And I thought it's really interesting that they obviously spoke truth to them, 
because he says they does. But he doesn't say, say what they said. He says, think about what they did, but he doesn't say, do it. He says, the thing to imitate is their faith. And to me, that is the thing. Is actually, as we get to know him and believe him in his ways, then um, he changes us and our actions change too. Um, so just an example in my life of this thing about actually we can only really live out the stuff that he's really taught us himself. Um, those of you who don't know of me, I've known God for five years, but I've believed in him my whole life. But I was um, grew up in religion, basically. So knew God, but he was far away and disinterested. Um, but since I was a little girl, I always loved that scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. The love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it's not proud. And I remember learning it when I was a little girl off by heart, because I was just like, wow, imagine that kind of love. Um, but because I didn't know love, I didn't understand that that was actually an articulation of his love and who he is. And so what I'd do with that scripture is I'd go, love is patient, so I need to be more patient because that will make God be pleased. I'm going to be more patient and I'm not going to yell at my kids and I'm not going to expect things immediately. And while my attention was on that, I could be more patient. But as soon as I let my guard down, straight back to where I was, yelling, expecting things immediately. Um... But then I came to know God, and I came to know that Jesus is the patient one. I came to see that he had been patient with me for 33 years while I'd completely rejected him. And I came to see that he's still really patient with me when I negotiate and wrestle. And Although he won't bend his will to mine, he will let me wrestle with him until I'm ready to come his way. Um, And I see it in you guys, and I see it in people who I love who continue to reject him, that he's patient. And he often says to me, it's all right, Joe, there's time. And so as I get to know him as the patient one, I find that I'm becoming more patient. Um, I still yell at my kids, and I still want things soon. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But I'm just, it's something to do with just knowing him changes you to become those things that his word says and so our actions change as we get to know him um the other thing i just wanted to underscore which a few others have said tonight is that being vulnerable with each other is a form of leadership there's something about being really open about what he's doing in our lives even when it's not a complete work yet even when it's something that he's challenging us on that is leadership and again i know this from experience I went through this phase last year where he kept challenging me and life groups and other things to share stuff. He'd be, share that thing I started talking to you about yesterday. And I'd say, no, that's ridiculous. I don't even really know what that is and how am I going to say it and it's not even related to what we're talking about. And so for a long time I just said no and left the group having not shared. Um, And then one night he said to me, will you show leadership by being vulnerable? And suddenly I was like, this isn't just about me. He, this is about us. And there's something, there's a reason he wants me to share this. Um, and it's good for me too. Um, so I just really encourage you in that. But sometimes it's hard because often it's, you don't even really know what he's doing. So it's kind of hard to say, I think he's kind of doing this thing, but I don't know what. Um, but it's freeing and it helps all of us. So vulnerability is leadership. Um, One last example. Um, This applies in the world too. As people have said, we're influencers in the world too. Um, 
And one thing God has done is he's asked me to lead formally in my workplace. And I have been quite unkeen consistently around this. And his promise to me has always been, I'll teach you. And that's been as far as the promise has gone, but he has taught me. And the same principle of leading by example impacts on the cultures in the world too. Um, So I had this time three or four months ago. We were in really deep water at work. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. I was under a lot of pressure. And one of my key, key staff who had a skill set completely different to mine that I needed um, got a great opportunity. And all of my worldly counsel said, you can't let him go, you can't let him go. And I didn't want to let him go either. And God said, you need to release him, Joan, and I will provide for you. And um, I knew that I could keep him. I knew that if I wanted to, I could manipulate him into staying. But that's not his way. His way is freedom. And his way is um, to release people into better things. So I let this guy go. And... It's just creating this culture of people releasing each other into what's best for them. So don't underestimate that by just doing the little things that he says, you can have a difference in the world too. So that's all from me. Beautifully real. All right, Greg. He's been up in uh, Auckland with James and Viv Anson this morning. Just flew in. Ready to bring a word. Okay, I need to talk to you about punctuality. <laughs> you have to talk to Ian Yuzelm. Oh, yeah. I hope that my glasses will sit there. It's come to the day where I need my glasses to read. Um, I mean, I've had glasses for a little while, but I've been trying to read, and then, especially here, I was like, I can't read what I'm supposed to be saying. But start. Um, I. I just want to pick on something that, that Simon said, but ultimately we've all been saying, um, Jesus came to do the will of his Father. So Jesus knew what the will of his Father was. And so often we hear this in the body of Christ, um, God, what's the will for my life? And it's a back-to-front question. It's a question that Jesus never asked. He said, I've come to do the will of my Father. He said, it's the Father's will that needs to be done. And the question is, Father, how does my life fit into your will? And so really, if we're going to influence one another, we need to know what the will of the Father is. Because it's not the separated thing where 45 of us are looking for this individual purpose for us and us alone, and it's completely irrelevant and it's not interconnected with one another. But that's what we've taught. And so this is why you have this individualism in the body of Christ, because everyone's looking for their individual purpose. Now, I haven't got time to look and connect it to you, because I'm still trying to find what I'm supposed to be doing. But ultimately, you only find God's role for you or his assignment or assignments for you is by looking in the macro and understanding his will. And um, you only find that when you choose to surrender. And this is what I'm going to speak about just for five minutes, is just as influencers, leaders, disciples, we must be surrendered to him. We can be committed, but if we're not surrendered, then we get in trouble. Because I can be completely committed to Christ, but just my way. So I'm going to do it all my way, even though I'm so committed. So I'm here at the prayer meeting. I'm here early to furnace. I'm part of serving here. I'm so committed, but I'm just not surrendered. 
And ultimately, I'm serving myself. And I may not even realize I'm doing that. But I'm not in the life. I don't seem to be in the life. The life doesn't seem to be in me, but I'm committed. And this is huge. And um, I shared this briefly, I think, in one of my messages where a Romanian pastor was asked, why has the church lost its power and influence with God and man? And the answer he said was because we've substituted surrender for commitment. We've substituted surrender for being committed. And yet it says deny yourself, then pick up your cross and follow me. So surrender must define what we call ministry. If you miss that bit and just pick up your cross and go following, then once again you're still on the throne of your own life and you'll decide how everything's going to happen. And when it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen, you get the hump with people, you get the hump with God, and you may even throw in the towel. You see, Peter, before he received the filling of the Spirit in his word, was committed to Christ, but he wasn't surrendered to Christ. And it was this process of Jesus constantly having to realign him and his disciples. He was realigning their thinking. He was trying to challenge and That's not how we do it, guys. You know? I'm going to the cross. No, you're not. Uh, Who's God? Yes, I am. No, you're not. Peter, get behind me for you are setting your mind on man's interests, not on mine. Your mindset hasn't been surrendered. But man, you're committed because you're still following me. Peter, get out the boat. Yes, Lord. So he was so committed, but he hadn't yet come into the place of surrendered. And we need to find this place. Every one of us, especially if we're going to influence others, need to find the place of surrender. Otherwise, we'll define it all, and then you'll lead people into your reality. And that's the blind leading the blind. And that's going nowhere. That's going round the mountain and round the mountain. Remember Jeremy saying, there goes Dorothy again. Way, there she goes again. And we can be doing that, wondering why we're not in life, because we've never been surrendered. And I believe that was the greatest test that God laid on Abraham when he said, give me the boy. This promise, he'd been waiting for it for 25 years. The boy's 14, 15, so he's had time with him. Imagine that. It's not like he's like three months old. He's had time with him. He's got to build relationship with him. Then he says, now is the day that the test comes. I want to see if you'll surrender to me. I want to see if the promise has got so entangled in your heart or whether I'm the one that has your heart. So now give him back to me. And as we know, Abraham passed the test because he knew even if God killed the boy, he could raise him up. That's what Hebrews says. But he was surrendered. And so if we're going to influence others, we better be surrendered to him and his ways. And we better not think we've got it all down pat. Because it's so easy to influence people like Clay was saying, away from. Because we have no clue or understand what God's even saying or doing. And that's been part of some of the questions. But um, real quick, I'm just going to read these scriptures and then we'll get into it because... Uh, Luke 9. Even though I have to put these on, the inner man is going from glory to glory. 
Luke 9.23. And he was saying to them, this is Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. See, in the surrender, you find life. This is what's interesting. We hate surrender. My flesh hates surrender. I love what Keith Harrison says. I'm English. I don't surrender. I was taught not to surrender. Winston Churchill said we never surrender. And I'm English too, so we don't surrender to anyone. We still think we're the best of rugby even though we get thrashed. But I'm not going to surrender that position. Because one day it's going to come true. No, Jesus says this. Really, before you come and follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to be prepared to put yourself at the bottom of the pole. You've got to be prepared to be on the bottom lifting up. You've got to be prepared to let the God of self go. You know, there's only two gods. It's us or him. God of self, God of him. Where's the wrestle going to be? See, the rich young ruler was his own God. That's why he had idols. The problem, it was a, it was a lordship issue, that very thing. So we see Jesus saying here, let's go to um, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 3 to 10. This is a cool passage, if I can find it. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Whoa, man. Do we regard one another as more important? Or are we looking after number one? It's about me. I'm not serving anyone before I get. That's better I can see you. I'm only going to come until... I'm only coming because I'm coming to get, and before I get, I'm not giving anything away. And we bargain with God and we bargain with people. But this is saying the complete opposite. Walk in a spirit of humility where you're thinking about other people before you're ever thinking about yourself. I love what Joe said. You know, you can't do that if you don't know him. It is impossible to think of other people ahead of oneself if you do not know him and he is not being revealed in you more and more and more. Because that's the antidote of self, is a greater reality of Christ in you. You can't fix you. Like Sandra said, it's not a self-improvement program. The Bible says that we are brand new creations. We don't know this way. We've never been here before. So are we living in the spirit because it's the spirit of the new creation that we're to be in? See, we're completely out of one realm because we're not thinking of ourselves anymore. We've entered into another realm. It's called the realm of the spirit. He goes on and it says this. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. So who are we following? Christ. 
Christ is saying, are you going to be this example? Are we this example? Are we becoming the people of God who are able and willing to live this out? Why? Because we're surrendered to him. So we're becoming these leaders of influence who are influencing everyone else to be this. So what are we influencing them to? Do we know? Do we have any clue? Because if we don't, then we're just the blind leading the blind. So a leader has to know where we've been and they need to know where we're going. Don't we? There's not much point going to... you don't know how to get to Auckland and you don't know how to get there, you're going to end up in New Plymouth. The Naki. Rodney's from the Naki. The only problem is you were supposed to be in Auckland. And the last one, 1 Corinthians 4.18. And I love this man, and this man, I wish I wish I could have met him. He'd probably scare, he'd probably scare me to death, but anyway. 1 Corinthians 4.8. You are already filled, you have already become rich. You have become kings without us. Indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. So he's challenging some people here big time who think they've already arrived somewhere. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honour. To this present hour, we we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil, toil, working with our hands when we are reviled. So, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, you would not have as many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. So what's he saying? He's talking about a reality he's living out as an apostolic father. But then he turns around and he says, here's the deal though, be an imitator of me. Don't be like Paul, but the life he's demonstrating. If you take that scripture, take Philippians, take what I just talked about in Luke and all the other scriptures, you can see that God's people are to be these types of people. Letting go of their lives. Living for another realm and another reality. Not being consumed by the world and its ways and its passions. Being consecrated. A priestly nation. Set apart unto him. Living completely differently here on the earth. Influencing the body of Christ to become the very thing. Which personally my conviction is an apostolic people. Are people who are selfless. Are people who are sacrificial. 
a people who serve and a people who have been sent go. So we're not all apostles, but the first thing that defines us is an apostolic heart and mindset that knows it's not from here. It has a greater reality called the Spirit of God living within her and the living Word, and it lives from that realm. And that's exactly what he's building here. This is the people he's looking and wants to build right here. So if you haven't really understood what he's doing here, that's what he's doing. The challenge is, are we surrendering to it? That's the challenge. Have we turned aside, heard another frequency, and gone and asked the question, why the bush isn't burning up? This thing I've been hearing, I don't understand it, but I'm prepared to turn aside from my world and go and ask some questions. It's huge. Absolutely huge who we have been called and chosen to be now and to live from that realm, knowing that our eternity or we are moving towards a greater reality. So are we leading people into this reality knowing that we can't do it? We can't change ourselves, but at the pursuit and the seeking and the asking and the knocking, we can come in and then we can be that to others and say, are you on this journey? Let me unpack it with you. And that's our challenge. So that's what I've got to say. So there's questions there, so let's continue.